you will, please stand with me as we read Genesis chapter 4, verse 17 through 26, and understand that God promises that blessed are those who read aloud the words of his prophecy. Blessed are those who hear the words of his prophecy. And blessed are those who keep what is written. Because the time of the Lord Jesus' return is near. The time of our reckoning, where he will settle all accounts with us, is near. Genesis 4, verse 17. Here are the words of Jesus in the mouth of Moses. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other, Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also was a son was born, and the name and called his name, and he called his name Enosh. At that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, here we come to the genealogies of Genesis, and perhaps you were wondering what what would the Lord have me do with genealogies when all I'm tempted to do is fast forward my reading for the day and, and finish early whenever I see a genealogy? I want to encourage us whenever we see genealogies to pay attention to names and numbers. And especially in this genealogy or the record of the generations of, of people who were born in this case to Cain and then to Seth. I want us to pay attention to names. And specifically, we have the repetition four times in this passage of the phrase, called the name. Called the name. We see it only in the beginning and in the end. Look in verse 17. How Cain called the name of his son Enoch. That name, I think, is giving us a clue as to what those people who come from him will be like. Enoch means initiative. Initiative. What a great name. What a 
wonderful legacy to live up to, one who takes initiative. And we see that the people of Enoch build a civilization. And then just compare that to what Seth, what name Seth calls his son in verse 26. At the end of our passage, a name that sounds like Enoch, but who is very different from Enoch. Enosh, whose name means a weak man. Not a man of initiative. Not a man who, from what we're told, accomplishes anything. I wonder what child, Enoch or Enosh, would you rather raise? What do you want your grandchildren to turn out to be? Productive men and women in society or weaklings? As I was reading this passage this week, I was reminded of a story I heard about this accomplished, rich British man. And one day he was talking to a lowly pastor the pastor said, how do you explain all the success you've had and all the companies you've built and all the money you've made and all the influence you have? And the way that he explained it was how he was raised. He said, I remember as a young boy, my dad said to me more than anything he ever said, he said, son, there is no greater shame than for a man to work for another man. There's no greater shame. And so he passed on a legacy. And this passage is about two different legacies and the slogans of their families that end up making them the men that they are. If we just observe the world and said, what, what is the campaign slogan of the world? I think we would see on all the posters words like initiative progress, independence. And I wonder, are the slogans in your home different from that? What kind of legacy is your heart longing to pass on to all the generations that come behind you? And I do want to just notice the end of verse 26. In the time of the weakling, who did not accomplish anything, people started calling upon a different name, calling upon the name of the Lord. What this passage teaches us is the simple point, worshipers wait in weakness. Worshipers wait in weakness. And I want to see that truth taught in the first few verses, verse 17 through 24, and we'll see this, this truth taught in reverse. It's a contrast to worshipers because we see all the strength of those who are in the world. Point number one is the way of the world. We're being told the way of the world, and it's the way of initiative in verses 17 through 24. What happens to the people of the world? 
what happens to the people who Cain, who is driven from dependence upon the Lord, driven from the presence of the Lord, who becomes independent of God, what happens to them? Friends, they multiply. They bear children and they build a civilization. In other words, what happens to people who live lives independent of God is they prosper. They prosper. There is an emphasis in these verses on the initiative that these people of the world take. In other words, they, they live without regard for the innovator, the creator, and they are innovating a new world. Verses 17 through 22, look how the world disregards judgment. The world disregards judgment. Look at what becomes of Cain. And there's a way that we can, as Americans, read the story of Cain. And we can say, well, look, the Lord gave Cain a lemon. And all Cain did was he made lemonade. Look at all he accomplished. I mean, God sending you away from his presence forever doesn't mean you have to mope for the rest of your life. Make something of yourself. Cain does. He and, and in a sense, he's imaging, he's, he's reflecting the one who made the whole world. Cain makes a city. And yet, let us be clear, Cain was never a regarder of the Lord. He still is not. The Lord gave Cain a life sentence of wandering and Cain settled. Okay, notice. The Lord commanded him, your judgment is to wander throughout the world with no place to settle. And Cain settles. This is what it means to be a man of initiative. You do whatever you want. You don't do what the Lord says. And what you love, friends, will show up in what you name. If you get a chance to name something, what you love will be reflected in what you name. Cain loves initiative. And so he names his son Initiative. And he names his city Initiative. And the citizens, the the people of the city of Enoch, fill Cain's world with Initiative. We have a record here of Cain's great, 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 great grandchildren. Verse 20, look at all that they do. And verse 20, Jabal creates ranching. This career of caring for creatures. In verse 21, we see Jubal. We sang his name earlier of Jubilee. The people of Moses would recognize in the name of this man Jubal, this feast of freedom, of celebration that they would would celebrate and, and have great joy in when they see Jubal is the one who filled the world with jubilation, with joy. With music. The world throws a lot of parties. They are living for fun, so they need musicians. In verse 22, Tubal Cain is a smith. He works with metals. And it is, it is just obvious for us to point out that sin in these people does not block the grace of God. Right? The grace of God comes even to the unrighteous. God is giving real gifts to the wicked. He is so gracious and generous that He gives to these re- rebels usefulness and creativity. 
a creativity that we even thank God for in our day, right? The ingenuity of the independent we can thank God for because in all of their independence and ingenious creations, they have given us things that we can use for the glory of God. So this is a reminder. Don't, don't just create things. You use the very things that they innovated. Shepherding. Music. You use your oil wells and you use your massive concrete mixers or whatever things you're doing in every way differently than them. We use all those things to lift up Jesus' name, not make a name for our families like they did. The world disregards judgment, but we see in verse 19 a, a, just a few words that shows that the world disregards marriage. The world disregards marriage. Lamech took two wives. The Creator said, a man shall leave his father and mother and take a wife and cling to her. But then the line of Cain hears that and they make progress. And then they have polygamy, married to multiple people. And all we have to do is read the rest of Genesis to learn how much trouble this very defiance of God's will brings into the whole world. But we also can read the book of Genesis and we can see that the people of worship in the other line, not in the line of Cain, the people of worship follow the ways of the world on this very issue. And so that can teach us a lesson today. This invites us to ask ourselves if there are ways that our ideas on marriage, if your ideas on sexuality have actually come from the Lord or have they been adopted from the world around us? Let's take care that we don't just absorb the habits and say, this must be normal. That we don't just absorb and adopt the definitions of the ungodly and how we indulge sexual urges and how we treat our spouse. The world disregards judgment, marriage, and life. Look in verses 23 and 24. The Creator, remember, in Genesis, the Creator calls all of creation with His let there be's. This is a key phrase throughout Genesis and in the books of Moses. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Listen to the voice of the Lord. And look at verses 23 and 24. You see the innovation. Of Lamech, of Lamech, his independence. He makes himself the Lord. He makes himself the law of the land. When in verse 23 he says, hear my voice. You listen to what I say. This reminds us of what we saw in Genesis 3. How God, as part of his judgment upon sinners... He, he gives the world harsh husbands. 
Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. What Lamech says in verse 23 and 24 is meant to be a parable of what the world has lost when it lost the Lord's voice as they listened to the voice of this husband who is giving this harsh warning to his wives. You better not cross me and nobody better cross me. Think of the the progress in the world. God is unfolding for us what is really the progress of the independent. What is progressing? It is rebellion. It is murder and vengeance. So Cain killed his brother in the earlier part of this chapter in this fit of jealousy. Lamech makes progress in murder. He murders a young man simply for hurting him. Whereas Cain was cast out and he was ashamed. Lamech is not ashamed at all. He's singing. That's why these two verses are set off the way that they are in your Bibles. He's boasting in a song. And whereas Cain had to be promised from the Lord, listen to my voice, Cain. If anyone kills you, I will exact sevenfold justice and vengeance upon them. Lamech does not need a word from the Lord. He doesn't get a word from the Lord. Lamech multiplies the vengeance that he will be owed if anyone kills him by speaking his own promise. Seventy-seven-fold vengeance. Again, the numbers matter. The way this could have been translated is, is either the 77, which is 70 plus 7, which is 7 times 10 plus 7. It's these numbers of fullness and, and perfection added up together. Or 77s, right? Fullness, complete. What he's saying is, if you cross me, you cannot be punished enough. Lamech requires hell if you cross him. Infinite judgment. The world does not wait on the Lord. It innovates. It doesn't need to wait upon the Lord. It just creates a new world. It boasts of its strength. It boasts of its accomplishment. It boasts of what it deserves. And there may be some people in here today who are living lives that are very worldly. This passage is a comparison. Unlike the world, there are worshipers in verses 25 and 26. And worshipers wait in weakness. So point number two is the way of worship. The way of worship is weakness. The way of worship is weakness. I wonder if you can appreciate the danger of of riches. Can you appreciate the danger of progress, of being capable? It's a danger of self sufficiency, of not needing the Lord at all. The Lord only regards those who worship Him. And you cannot worship God 
unless you know you need God. Behold the woman in verse 25. Behold a needy woman. Her own child murdered her beloved son. How different is this woman from the lives of verses 17 through 24 who are making their life and making a name for themselves? Look at the helpless woman who is beside herself and see her faith. Her weakness being completely out of control as her oldest son murdered her beloved son. That weakness does not kill the trust that she has in the Lord. That trust that she proclaimed when that first son was born. Look in verse 1. We're seeing the difference between what happened in verse 1 when, when Eve was saying, the Lord has helped me and He's given me a son. And that son turns out to be a murderer of of her other son. And Eve, in verse 25, is still waiting on the Lord. She is still trusting in the promise of God. She will have a son because He promised to give me a son. So she says this in verse 25. She says, God has appointed for me another offspring. Same word as Genesis 3.15 where the promise was made. He will give me offspring." God has still done it. Seth is his name. And when Seth has a chance to name his own son, he boasts in weakness. Seth professes his own weakness. Seth professes when he's leaving a legacy in the name of his son. He doesn't say, I can take initiative because I can live on my own. He says, Man is weak. I will call you Enosh. And beloved, it is when you boast in weakness, those are the conditions when people call on the name of the Lord. Those who boast in their own weakness are the only kinds of people who will ever call out to the Lord. Let me give you three characteristics from these two verses of people who wait on the Lord in weakness. My hope is that Grand Bible Church will be a people who embrace weakness. Who don't hide weakness or run from weakness, but embrace weakness so that we might know what only weak people get to know. And that is the strength of the Lord. Here are three marks of people who really worship. So you might come in here and everyone in here might say I'm a worshiper. Well, here's three tests. First, worshipers or the weak forgive. The weak forgive. And really I'm going back to verses 23 and 24 for this. And I'm going forward to Matthew 18 that we heard earlier. Did you hear the heart of Lamech in the question of Peter? I wonder if you heard your own heart 
in Peter's question about how far, about the line, about the limit of how much someone, other, someone else can do to you and you still forgive them. How many times, listen to Lamech, how many times should I forgive someone if they sin against me? Jesus answered the heart of Lamech in Peter's question with the words of Lamech. This is what Jesus is doing. He's using the words of Lamech back in verse 24 of our passage. But he uses them in a radically different way. He says, you should not forgive people sevenfold. Remember he said, I say to you, listen to my voice, hear my words. You should not forgive people sevenfold. You should forgive them 77 times or seven, sevenfold, the words of Lamech. The kingdom of heaven is nothing like the kingdom of Lamech. Just imagine if we lived in the kingdom of Lamech. If all we had was this world. How easy would it be for you to wound the king. Lamech is wicked. He hates good. He is swollen with conceit. How easily would it be for you to offend him? How easy would it be for you to wound Lord Lamech? And if you do, you will pay the ultimate price. That is the world outside of God. You kill Lord Lamech and you will bear infinite vengeance. The kingdom of heaven is like a man owing his master an infinite debt that he could not repay in many lifetimes. But when he asks for mercy, the master pities him and forgives him fully and freely. Jesus is saying, I have come in a different line than Lamech. I have come in the line of Seth. I am the weak son. God took on weak manhood. Jesus is this new Enosh. And whereas Lamech promises hell if you cross him whereas you earned hell i earned hell for all the millions of ways that we have refused to give god that all life devotion that we owe him because he's our god in spite of all of that jesus bore infinite vengeance jesus bore infinite vengeance from God on a cross. He took hell to free us for heaven. What we don't hear is how all this works in Matthew chapter 18. It takes the rest of Matthew to unpack this, especially the end. The only way that heaven can be this kind of kingdom, the kind of place of infinite forgiveness is if our infinite debt is paid. No, it is not just ignored. 
like we might conclude, like many of us just instinctively expect from the Lord. Just ignore all my debt. Forget what I owe. It's not forgotten. It's not ignored. It is paid. Jesus paid all of it for all the people who confess weakness. You have to be weak to have Jesus. You have to be weak to be a citizen of that kind of kingdom. You cannot be a person of spiritual initiative and progress. You have to confess, I have failed from your heart. You have to say and know, Lord, I have not produced the kind of righteous life that you demand. And I would never pay off. I would never finish paying you off in hell. I need you save me. The gospel is only for that kind of person. And it is for that kind of person. What we hear throughout the New Testament. It is for people who had no mercy. It is for people who were not God's people. It is for the knots of this world. Not the people who have. Are you going to continue in your heart's desire to boast. And to make a name for yourself. Or are you weak. And do you know your need to be forgiven? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be fully and forever forgiven from all of our debt to then serve the King, never forgetting our infinite weakness or His infinite forgiveness. And so Jesus teaches us as, as he taught his disciples in Matthew 18, he's teaching us in Genesis 4 that worshipers are infinitely forgiving. Worshipers are infinitely forgiving. The citizens of Christ's kingdom know no one in this world can ever owe me more than I owe God. No one in this world, no matter what they do to me or how many times they do it, will ever have to pay me more than Jesus paid God for me. And therefore, I will never not forgive. What do you want to pass on to your children? Never say no when someone asks you to forgive them. Saying no when someone asks you for forgiveness, according to Jesus, listen to me now. This is, so, this is the most serious thing. If you say no to someone who asks you for forgiveness, you are committing apostasy. You are denying all the faith that you profess. You have turned away from the Lord. If you ever do that, he is saying, if you say no to anyone who asks you for forgiveness, you are saying no to God's mercy. Because God in His mercy says to you, you need Jesus. You need forgiveness. You can't accomplish this on your own. If you say yes to Jesus, you can say no 
to no one who asks you for mercy. Whoever does not forgive from the heart, not just in words, what is in your heart will come out in forgiving words. It will come out in merciful actions. If you don't forgive, you will suffer forever with the unforgiven, Jesus says. Because it shows that you obviously know nothing about God's forgiveness. May our hearts never say no to requests for mercy. Second, the weak worship the Lord by waiting for the Lord to provide. The weak wait for the Lord to provide. The world doesn't wait on the Lord for anything. Cain makes a world. And compare that to Eve in verse 25. Look at her weight. Her son's name is her persevering in faith while she's weak. Seth means granted. It means graciously appointed. Worshippers live off heavenly welfare. Whatever your political views are, just understand this from God. Worshippers live off heavenly welfare. We are not those who stand on our own two feet. We are not leaning on any kind of initiative of our own. We totally depend on the grace of God. And Eve says that. And yet we're not saying that waiting means being passive. Look at Adam and Eve in verse 25. Adam knew his wife. You know what? That's lingo for. In other words, they're not inactive. But what is clear is what they are acting upon. They are acting upon the promises of God. They've taken the promise of Genesis 3.15. I will give you a son and he's going to be your savior. And they put it along with Genesis 3.16. I promise you, Eve, in difficulty and in pain, you will conceive a son. And you will give birth to sons in pain and difficulty. She understands those two things together. So that when she conceives and bears a son, that never makes Eve forget that it is the Lord who has to give me a son he's going to give me a son but I can't do it on my own it's impossible you've got to give it so when you give it I'll say in the son in the name of my son the Lord gives Seth weak worshipers do not act on ambition we wait on provision weak worshipers don't act on ambition we wait on provision. Is that you? Why do you do what you do? Are you waiting for anything? If you want to find proof that you wait, how much you wait is proven in how much you pray. Friends, there's no getting around this. Prayer is the measure of your waiting. It is the measure of your understanding of your weakness and your need. It's the measure of your understanding of how much you depend on someone bigger than you. Lord, if you do not appoint, if you do not grant this, I can accomplish nothing on my own. Lord, there is nothing in my life that is good that I will put my name on. 
All the credit for everything good in my life belongs to you. If Jesus is your strength, your strength, not your flesh, not what you can accomplish. If Jesus, Jesus is the grace you have. If he is your strength, you will wait for what he only sets, what he only grants to those who pray. You will pray. Third, the weak proclaim the Lord's name. You see this in verse 26. When the people call on the name of the Lord, they are they're turning away from what the world does. In the earlier verses, their obsession, that's what the world is obsessed with, with calling on their own name and making a legacy for their own name. And worshipers are calling to the Lord to help in their weakness. But I want to tell you what this phrase, calling on the name of the Lord, especially means even more than that. It's contrasting how the world proclaims its own name. How the world is proclaiming its own name by passing it on to other generations. The weak proclaim the Lord's name. In other words, if you are weak, you will spend your words not on who you are and what you've done, but on who the Lord is and what He has done. Listen to me. This is so important. The church is made up of worshipers. It's not just everyone who comes. That's not the real church. It's not everyone who comes to church that is the church. The church are the worshipers who are inside the church, who gather together. It's the weak. And what this verse is teaching us is that preserving the truth about Jesus preserving that, keeping that, guarding that about what He's done, about who He is, that is our highest form of worship. That is what we exist to do. So we encourage members of this church from the very beginning to share a testimony of what Jesus has done in the world, in the gospel, and what He has done in your life, a testimony. This is why. This is our legacy. This is our ambition. It is to keep the truth. This is what we are doing. In verses 25 and 26, notice though that we do this in our weakness, not in our strength. This is so important, beloved. What this means is that when you are speaking about Jesus and when you are speaking the words of Jesus to others, you will feel weak. You will often feel outnumbered. You will often feel overpowered. You will often feel uncertain how you're going to be perceived. And it is right then when you are weak and because you are weak, you lift up your voice and you name a different name than your own. One of the most common reasons we give for why we are silent why we will not speak the truth that is hard to other Christians, why we will not speak the gospel to people who do not believe the gospel is because we're so weak. And can't you see the lesson? It is when we confess our weakness that we start proclaiming the name of the Lord. Weakness does not provide an excuse for not speaking. We speak because we are weak. We speak about Him. 
because we are weak. That's why we're primarily not just sharing our testimonies. This is what God means to me. This is what we're saying something that He's done that can be for true for everyone. We speak about Him. Do you worship Jesus? Do you worship Jesus? Forgive, wait, and proclaim. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Enoch? This is a different Enoch. If you're thinking, if you're confusing him with what we see in chapter 5, it's a different Enoch. You want to be Enoch? You want to leave your mark on the world? You want to make a name for yourself? Or do you want to be Enosh? Another way to say his name in English is sickly. You want to be sickly? Not someone people dedicate, which is another word for Enoch. Not someone people dedicate buildings or streets to. Enosh means despaired of. It means frail. It means forgotten. The world honors Enoch's. It cannot be clearer that the Lord forgets Enoch's because this is all we hear of Cain's line. Starting in verse 25 and through the rest of Genesis, we're going to focus on Seth. It is the line of Seth. It is the Enoch's of the world who the Lord focuses on. Now, I hate waiting. I do. I hate waiting. And I hate weakness. I hate all my weakness. Everything in my flesh hates and resists the circumstances in my life where I have to wait. Not knowing how this is going to turn out. Not knowing whether it's going to turn out the way that I want. A life of worship is a life of waiting in weakness. What we should resist is the pull to despise and to escape the waiting circumstances that God brings you, the weakening circumstances that God brings you. Learn from this passage that if you want prosperity, you don't need the Lord. You can have that life if that's what you want. And you don't have to have the Lord to get it. So we all have to decide if we want the good life or we want God. Worshippers wait in weakness. Father in heaven, a man once said that we have only one life and it will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Guard us from being foolish and seeking to make progress and take initiative and be independent and from raising children who are more American than they are Christian. Who are more of the line of Cain than the line of Jesus. Bring us low Make us wait. Show us our weakness. 
and cause us to trust you in it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.